Not going to lie, perhaps a little bit of hooky ought to be on your radar today because this may be the best day of what remains of our year. 52 degrees and sunny. In December. In December. And it is uh, a lovely day in December at that. And we welcome you in on a TGIF Friday here, December 15th, 2023, just 10 days until Christmas. And I had guys calling me yesterday saying, you want to get out and play? I knew you were going to think that. Yeah. I mean, it is that kind of day. I've got too many things uh, to do in terms of I've put my clubs away. It is the holiday season. I'm not you even You never thinking. put your clubs away. <laughs> well, we do I have at an least take them out of the car at our club. Just taking them out of the car is a big emotional, yeah. you know, we salute them, you know, as we at least put. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Yeah. See you in the it's spring. Gonna, yeah. It, please try to be nicer when, when we, we, we resurrect <laughs> I promise you. to practice more. Yeah. We are knocking on the door to what could be another record day on Wall Street. Uh, it was a 150-point rise on the Dow yesterday. It's just 250 clicks from the 38 thousand level and whether we're talking S&P, NASDAQ or Dow, uh, the futures markets are all trending in the right direction. So on the open at 930, we could see records set once again. Uh, a lot of this void by news yesterday that the uh, applications for jobless benefits fell again. Uh, we saw some pretty positive retail sales numbers uh, come in as well. And of course, just this euphoria over what the Fed said, indicating that there could be three interest rate cuts on the horizon. Sounds good. The market is is lapping it up. Meantime, uh, coming out of Israel, the breaking news this morning, our National Security Advisor, Jake Sullivan, uh, saying that, look, we're not here to to do X's and O's and to tell Israel how to fight this war. However, we do expect them to be downscaling a bit and making more targeted attacks. And he's saying that's basically what he was told by the Israeli uh, leadership that he talked to while he was there, that this is going to be more focused on Hamash leadership and command centers. And I don't know if you saw the pictures, Jamie, of the of the captured Hamas soldiers, dozens of them armed in a hospital. I did not see the pictures. I read about it. It was like a chain gang of prisoners that they they, they took in. And, and so, again, uh, lending, uh, just ripping off the Band-Aid on the lie that, that, that they don't use uh, vulnerable civilian complexes as human right. shields. Right, hospital. What's more vulnerable than that? This comes after news that half of the munitions that Israel has used have been unguided, and that might have led to some of the civilian casualties, which is... Not what anyone wants to see. Yeah, and yet, you know, they call them dumb bombs because they are not as precise. And, and yet, I, I did hear some military experts say just because they are not the smart bombs does not mean that you can't be pretty precise with them. So, um, you know, again, it depends on, on who's kind of spinning that. But if, you know, going forward, we can reduce the civilian casualties, hooray. Let's, right, that's let's, the goal. Let's do that. But the quickest way to relieve civilian suffering is to eradicate Hamas. And now there's a question about who's going to be there when it's over. Um, Jake Sullivan uh, uh, doing an exit uh, from Tel Aviv in a news conference saying the Israeli government has indicated that it does not have a long-term plan to control Gaza, and we do not believe it is right for Israel to occupy Gaza over the long term. So there's what a former, is the plan? Yeah. Prime Minister, Israeli Prime Minister on Nightly last night saying, what's the vision? What's the plan after you get Hamas? Yeah. The infrastructure is ruined. What now? And meantime, uh, a frightening story out of Europe. Yeah. Four alleged Hamas members suspected of plotting terror attacks on European soil 
have been arrested by German and Dutch authorities. Three people were arrested in Germany and one in the Netherlands on suspicion of planning attacks on Jewish institutions in Europe. And so the good news is they got these people. But the bad news is this is what, you know, the FBI director and people here in the United States feared that the war would spread and people would try and do some damage to Jewish institutions. I think FBI Director Christopher Wray has testified three times now before the Homeland Security Committee or other uh, security agencies saying we are seeing elevated threats at, at, to, to a degree we've not seen before. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what he's warning us about. Exactly. So, he said um, the light is blinking. Exactly. Yeah. And that means everybody needs to be vigilant. Um, just to say, the, the, the Samantha Wool, the more we learn, the sadder it becomes. I just have this, this pit in my stomach hearing details that this woman, this bright light that she was, this life that she had in front of her was just snuffed out. And it seems for no reason. Uh, There was a hearing yesterday and details are emerging, emerging. According to Assistant Prosecutor Ryan Elsie, he says the evidence tells us that the defendant, Detroiter Michael Jackson Bellano, stabbed Samantha Wool to death during a home invasion during a crime of opportunity late at night. He was creeping around her neighborhood in the middle of the night, stealing things out of cars, and she unfortunately left her front door open that night. And by open, I think he means unlocked. At 4.20, her security system detected motion in her living room where she had apparently fallen asleep. And we know she came home from that wedding and then Wool was found outside by the neighbor's home at 6 a.m. So just two hours later, there was blood everywhere. And the assistant prosecutor said Wool was stabbed eight times in and around her head and neck, wounds designed to kill her. They had been trailing Jackson Bolanos for weeks, mm-hmm. and they found Samantha Wool's blood on a jacket inside his girlfriend's home. Right. And his attorney has said, we think this is a case of mistaken identity and we intend to prove that. Well, then how did her blood end up on his jacket and all of the digital data showing he was there? They have all of this security camera, cell phone data, the DNA, of course, this digital trail linking him to this crime. It's just it it is amazing to me now that, you know, we used to say, look for the the old days was, yes, we saw footprints outside the window. It's your digital footprint that gets you convicted. Yeah. Now, because they can be very precise and with your uh, locating. But again, just just, you know, came home from a wedding, forgot to lock up, fell asleep. Yeah. I just it makes me sick. And um, and hopefully they they have enough of this circumstantial evidence and blood evidence uh, to get that conviction. Um, the, the trial in the false electors case, the so-called false electors case, entered its second day yesterday. And for the first time, we had heard that Trump campaign officials were tied to it. We had testimony to the media uh, about that. But yesterday, under oath, we heard that from the former communications director for the Michigan Republican Party, a guy named Tony Zamet, said that, yes, it was Sean Flynn, a lawyer for Trump's campaign in Michigan, who actually gaveled the meeting into order uh, at the uh, party headquarters on December 14th as they assembled these documents. Um, but one of the things he said is very interesting. There, there's long been questions about whether or not some of these older so-called false electors knew what they were signing when they signed it. Mm-hmm. And some are saying we signed one page to say that we would su- submit these things as a contingency. But we didn't know we were going to send it to the National Archives claiming Trump had won. And he kind of lends some voice to that. He said he thought that Attorney Flynn, the the Trump attorney, 
took advantage of those Republicans who participated in signing the documents. He said, quote, I thought they were going along with the lawyers, what the lawyers were telling them, and uh, they must show intent to defraud. So if what Tony Samet is saying is true, it's hard to form intent when you were misled. Right. So it, the two big things, I mean, it, tried, it ties the Trump campaign people into it. It's not just being participants, not just saying here's the strategy, but actually being on site and coordinating. Uh, but it questions about whether or not they were doing so honestly and treating these people, these Republicans, honestly, or whether they were uh, misled. Uh, we did get yesterday a... Uh, we, we've, we heard from uh, Senator Stabenow, Senator Peters, uh, that they were willing to stay past the holiday break in order to get the deal done with Ukraine and yes. uh, better secure the border. It appears they'll have that opportunity, even though I think it's kind of a Hail Mary pass. I think it kind of is as well. Uh, Senate Democrats announced that they would put off their upcoming holiday break to stay in Washington to press for passage of a bill pairing military assistance for Ukraine with a crackdown on migration at the U.S.-Mexico border. The problem is House GOP leaders left Washington without acting. So, you know, is this just for show or could something actually be happening? It looks like they were getting closer to a deal when it comes to the border security. Mm -hmm. So if they can come to a deal, maybe people can come back and everybody can vote, hopefully. It's going to be tough. You don't have a deal in principle. They haven't written one line of legislative text of this. And it's hard to just... Jam that in, basically, and you don't want to rush anything. Exactly, exactly. Um, we've seen that before, and it always ends badly. Uh, Senator Graham, uh, Lindsey Graham, very dubious. Senator Langford out of Oklahoma, who is one of the lead GOP negotiators, says he's going to do his level best uh, to get a deal done. And there are some significant compromises there from the White House and Democrats on this, including raising the bar for asylum, uh, and and also increased expulsions. And when immigration advocates say it's Title 42 on steroids, uh, those of us that are looking for more border security got to say, well, they must be doing something right <laughs> if they're that 9, upset. 9,000 a day yeah. is a lot. Yeah, or yeah, I think the other one, one day was 12,000 and, and 5,000 that are allowed in. When we come back, it's the gift that keeps on giving the Rocket Mortgage Classic Golf Tournament a wonderful gift as we conclude the year uh, that will help Detroit and others. We'll get an update on that on JR Morning. Thank goodness it's Friday edition. At the end of the year, you always want to take stock at uh, all the various gifts that uh, we have been granted over the previous 12 months. Uh, celebrate those. Give thanks for those. And I will tell you that the more that we see uh, coming from the Rocket Mortgage Classic, this wonderful PGA event that happens every summer, and we always broadcast live out there, and it's always great to see the guys. Great and, event. And it, it is, and uh, Detroit Golf Club does such a great job. But the folks at, at Rocket Mortgage uh, and uh, at the Rocket Giving Fund do a tremendous amount of good. And this has been a hallmark of the PGA. And, boy, they've seized upon this uh, like no other. And uh, they did announce yesterday where a lot of the nonprofit benefits are going. Uh, Laura Graneman is executive director of the Rocket Community Fund and the Gilbert Family Foundation. Laura, good morning. Hi, good morning. I'm so glad to be here. Well, t- well I, you know, I mean, you this, this press, relief, press release yesterday came gift-wrapped uh, in, in so many ways for those of us that uh, want to make sure that uh, families and children in Detroit have the access to information that the Internet can provide. And you took a giant step forward with that. Tell us about it. 
Yeah, we did. We're so excited uh, this past week because, as you know, of course, the Rocket Mortgage Classic is a week-long event, but our charitable giving and our, our community strategy really lives on all year. So um, just yesterday, we were excited to announce more than $1.6 million was raised and given to nonprofits around the city. Um, as you know, a large portion of that goes directly to what we call our changing the course strategy. So our whole uh, really strategic vision is to try to invest as much as possible in closing the, the digital divide in Detroit. Um, and so we're really excited that this event can have ripple effects that support Detroit families to be able to get access to internet devices and the digital literacy and training they need to be able to navigate the digital world. And Laura, in five years since this uh, tournament has been in existence, a lot of money has gone toward that. And there have been real gains in getting people in Detroit connected, whether that's in their own home or in these digital hubs. Yeah, that's right. You know, we've we've been able to raise $8.4 million over the course of the last five years. Um, I, I often like to say, you know, you always under or always overestimate what you can do in a year and you underestimate what you can do in, in five it really makes a huge difference to have this type of fundraising vehicle. And as a result of that fundraising effort, we've been able to do some pretty incredible things. In particular, we have a program that's actually a federal subsidy for internet access. It's a $30 per month subsidy for folks who are income qualified. And we're extremely proud that the city of Detroit is now um, has the most signups of any major city across the United States at 120,000 signups. We still have more folks to go. Uh, we're, we're at about 65% of what we think are the eligible households. So we're, we're doing some direct outreach right now to make sure that, that all families know that they are eligible for this incredible opportunity. Um, but, but you know, as a result of these efforts and, and really this community partnership with um, our primary partner, Connect 313, we have had some really amazing results. There's also uh, the Fairway Award. Uh, yeah. and, and I know that's very special to the folks at Rocket Mortgage as well. Uh, well, so yeah, the Fairway Award is an award for diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts that the PGA Tour gives to uh, one of the uh, tournaments throughout the course of the year. And this year, the Rocket Mortgage Classic was awarded again with the Fairway Award. Uh, we are extremely proud of, of course, not just our giving strategy, but also our um, investment in making sure that our tournament is more diverse, more equitable, and more inclusive. Well, and you don't um, and I think, you don't do it to get recognition, but it's nice when you do. No, right? but it's nice. It's nice to get uh, to get recognized for just a few of the efforts. You know, I think one of the, the the most exciting opportunities from my perspective is what we call the John Shippen. Mm-hmm. Um, the John Shippen is a, a an invitational that allows. Uh, folks, uh, people of color, uh, to come and be able to compete for actually a spot in the Rocket Mortgage Classic. So it could be amateurs or professionals um, who are actually then able to get an opportunity to play, not not just in the Invitational, not just in the John Shippen, but in the actual Rocket Mortgage Classic. And so it's it's been a really cool event. We've had it for the last couple of years now. Um, and I think it's really, it's truly setting a trend now. We're seeing others who are really wanting to, to um, take something similar and, and make it their own. So we're really excited to, to sort of be leading the way there and 
I'm very grateful that the PGA Tour is recognizing that. Well, I also know a, a, a caddy of color who was hoping to be on a PGA bag uh, at, at DGC. He didn't get that opportunity, but the Shippen Award winner uh, needed a needed a caddy uh, once they made it into the field and chose him. So, it, And then that guy made the cut, Yeah, which was great. His name was Chase Johnson, so that's really exciting. He played into the weekend. Um, I was looking at the notes here, and... A big chunk of the money goes to Connect 313, but a large chunk also goes to sort of these grassroots efforts. Midnight Golf, Detroit Police Athletic League, the First Tee, those are all wonderful organizations. They are. You know, we, we of course, as an organization that truly understands and, and embraces uh, sports and the importance of sports, we also think that it's partially our responsibility to help others. Uh, be able to connect with that sport and in particular golf. Yeah. And so uh, Midnight Golf is a great example of that, where we've had just such a deep connection with the folks at Midnight Golf. They have such wonderful programming for anyone who doesn't know. It's really it's a program that um, supports in particular Detroit, but Detroit area students um, to be able to connect with the game of golf and really use that as a foundation to succeed in other areas of life too, in particular school um, and it's, it's geared towards high school students. So I'd highly recommend anyone check it out. It's a great, great program, and we're really proud to support it. Laura Graneman, we look forward to next year's event and all the good it will do. More than $8 million raised for these charities. Have a wonderful Christmas, a happy new year, and thanks for being with us. Thanks so much. Happy holidays to you both. this Friday morning. We welcome you in. Hopefully uh, you're going to be able to get outside, take advantage of this amazing forecast we have. I, I saw 28 on the thermometer and said, okay, give me that next 25 degrees and we're there. <laughs> uh, but uh, if you, so it, it, whether you're going to, you, this may be the best day to put up the remaining decorations that you haven't put If up you yet. haven't already. I saw a car driving by me yesterday with a Christmas tree. I'm like, oh, that's late. Yeah, it'd be a great day to go out and, and uh, pick out the Christmas tree, and you won't have to shovel before you dig or cut if you're going to go to one of those uh, farms. Uh, an amazing turnout, it, literally a who's who uh, at the uh, groundbreaking for the Detroit Center for Innovation yesterday. Um, the promise of this, and it's all about the execution, but the right. idea that the future in mobility, the future in software engineering, uh, climate change research, robotics, you name it. Uh, and I would imagine AI is probably going to be part of that as well. Uh, if As we break into the future, the technological future, a lot of these ideas are going to be hatched and nurtured right down the street from us here at this new Center for Innovation. Well, that's what you want, of course. And you want the best and brightest to stay here and do their work here. That is so key. So if this is available to them, then they may. Now, that whole idea of people staying, not leaving, of increasing Michigan's population. The trend lines are not just disappointing. They're alarming. You cannot grow your economy with a shrinking population. No, and you need the young people to stay and have kids and go to school and work and all of that. And and coming up at 719, we're going to be talking with John Ricolta, who was the Republican co-chair of the Growing Michigan Together Council. This was the population kind of the kind of like this emergency action team that was pulled together by Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Uh, they were announced up at Mackinac. Uh, Ricolta and Shirley Stancato from uh, New Detroit were among were the two lead co-chairs. 
they they dropped their recommendations yesterday. There were a couple of big pieces to it, but education is a key piece. They want to say, look, it's no longer K through 12. We have to make it K through 12 plus one or two. This idea you've got to extend your education past high school, and they're going to try to make a passionate uh, plea for the return on that. But left unspoken how do you do it how do you fund it right and and i mean the mechanism for funding this wasn't there republicans have criticized it as being kind of a stealth star chamber to uh, pass tax increases but in the business community they're taking a different view they're saying we may have to shift revenues around but before we raise taxes we're going to make a, a, a firm case for it that it will return dividends long term the question is is the public in the mood for that? One of the things they're talking about, Jamie, is the need for mass transit. Yes, and Gilbert okay. has talked about this too. Yeah, and and we know that young people, many of them aren't interested in buying a car. They want to move someplace where they can still get around without vehicle ownership. Well, that's okay, but do you know where our transit system is right now? There are, They're only at 46% of the ridership that they had pre-pandemic. 46%. So how do you make... Uh, how do you make the case for investing in transit when the transit system you have that was already underutilized is now underutilized even more? Well, I know the the Q line is used a lot up and down. It is, and and it's it's been an important part, and certainly for those that are uh, downtown residents. Yeah, it, it can be. And by the way, the new RTA, the Regional Transit Authority. The question with the Q line has always been, who's going to take it over when the current funding ends right because it, it's free yeah to and get the, on right now the, the rta is going to take it over and this is the this regional transit authority that was taken but it, it, we're going to be talking with john ricolta coming up at 719 uh, let me tell you john is no fan of of tax increases he's a, a, a certainly a deficit hawk as a republican but he says you know we under invest a lot in this state in many things and he has seen plant after plant which he would normally be building here go to other states he's still building them he's just building them elsewhere mm-hmm. and, and no one has been an advocate for addressing this problem uh more passionately than john Colton. we'll speak to him at 719 did you see what happened up in boston yes so you know isn't this spirit of the holiday you invite all your co-workers to the party what do you tell your <laughs> kids you invite everyone to the birthday party Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You don't you don't play favorites. Well, now Boston's mayor, Michelle Wu, she's a, a first termer. Uh, she's the city's first Asian-American mayor. Um, her office sent out a a uh, an invitation to a holiday party where it was for electeds. I've never heard that term before. Electeds of color. And they 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 held this. But the invitation went to everybody on council not just those of color. So the existence of this... That moment where you replied all and you didn't mean to. Exactly. She had that moment. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, and so the, the fact... That, and, and it begs the question, can you imagine if any CEO, any school superintendent, any person in leadership in any other institution had said, well, we're going to invite just this group of people, or if we, it had been a whites-only or a, a Christians only, you name the, the the divisions that you want to make. Can you imagine the blow up that would have taken place? And yet Michelle Wu is saying she apologizes 
for the mistake. But it leaves open to the question, well, exactly what mistake? The fact that you sent it to everybody or the fact that you held it in the first place? Yeah, I think that's what she says is her mistake. Now, a different point of view is that this is a group of diverse members that always gathers at the holiday time. And so they were just getting together one more time like they do all the time. And no one's had a problem with it before. That would be the other side. Right. And they're saying that this is this is a what I think a 10 year tradition uh, of and and uh, one of the one of the white members of council said, I think it's unfortunate and divisive, but I'm not insulted by it. He said, quote, to offend me, you're going to have to do much more than not invite me to a party. Okay. Right. And the mayor is saying the the holiday gathering for everyone is also planned. This is a specific group that always meets. Yeah. So you decide. Again, I think the same people that are invited to that party would be screaming bloody murder if they were excluded from any party. Here's what Michelle Booth, the Boston mayor, had to say. I think we've we've had individual conversations with everyone so people understand that it was truly just a, an honest mistake that went out in, in typing the email field. And um, I look forward to celebrating with everyone at the holiday parties that we will have besides this one as well. So um, it is my intention that we can, again, um, be a city that lives our values and create space for all kinds of communities to come together. So the honest mistake was that you put the wrong names in the recipient, not that you excluded people. Right. You know, and I, I don't think she explained very well what you just explained is that this is a subgroup within city council that has been, been meeting to talk about, I don't know, diversity issues or whatever. But um, right. and we often um, group amongst like members. Right. Right. But it's the institutionalizing of that that's the problem. Yeah. And, and again, it's it, it just kind of lends a question to whether or not you're running a double standard and whether there's some hypocrisy. And this comes as the NAACP, uh, NAACP president, Derek Johnson, says that the attacks and criticism directed at Harvard President Claudine Gay uh, is nothing more than political theatrics advancing a white supremacist agenda. This is this wow. is nuts. <laughs> It is not so. I guess uh, then are the attacks against uh, Kornbluth from MIT and uh, the UPenn president were were those attacks also? Or... To be clear, those were white women in their positions, and the criticism were for all three and how they answered those questions on Capitol Hill. Right, and and so and which certainly um, harmed a a, uh, a religious minority. The the the, uh, the Jews that are concerned about anti-Semitism right. on campus, right, at, which has been on display, putting Jewish students they feel at risk, and certainly uh, making it at the at the very least a hostile environment for them. Not concerned about the religious minority, uh, and only singling out the Harvard president for their defense. Um, so I, it's 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 white supremacist when you're criticizing a a president of color, but apparently it's a okay. It's just this is according again, to the NAACP president, Derek Johnson. This is his right. view. I don't know how many people feel this way as well. I have seen articles and some news stories that because Claudine Gay is the first black president and second woman to lead Harvard, they felt that there was this undue criticism to her. Yeah. But 
I think all three women who are up there in front of Congress sort of felt it. Bill Ackman, who's a very wealthy donor to Harvard and is now going to withhold those donations, said, now I'm a white supremacist, apparently. Am I also anti-Semitic because I suggested that MIT's Cornbluth should resign or be fired? Uh, Am I anti-Christian because I said Penn's McGill should be fired as well? Uh, A lot of questions. And again, just kind of feeding this thing that there are so many different standards and it's all who... Uh, and this is what people don't want ex- and don't exactly. like. Also, you should be able to have a discussion and criticize here or there policies of a university and not get into all this. Exactly. How about just being fair? Yeah. Bottom line. When we uh, come back, some amazing new advances in science that allows us to map the brain, to find those geographical locations that tell us what that part of the brain does. And now a group in Michigan is leveraging that knowledge to try to eliminate and reduce seizures in children. We'll talk about it next on JR Morning at 649. Jamie, have you ever had a friend or witnessed um, an epileptic seizure? Yes, and I it's very scary as an outsider watching. Yeah, you just don't know what to do. Yeah, There's this, this feel feeling, helpless. Exactly, this feeling of helplessness. Now imagine if it happened to your, to your, to your child. Uh, that is the, the, the very real fear that a lot of parents have if they have a child that has these seizures. Well, now, Children's Hospital of Michigan, in uh, the recently published Nature Communications Outlines, an atlas of the brain. They created a map of the electrical, act, electrical activity in the brain, and they expect that this can be used around the world to treat seizures and hopefully... Uh, prevent them. Dr. Aisha Aishi Asano is director of the EEG lab at Children's Hospital among those that did this mapping and uh, he joins us live this morning. Doctor, thanks for being with us. Hi guys and Jamie, thank you very much for having me. I am Dr. Aishi Asano, the medical director of EEG lab at the Children's Hospital of Michigan. Well, thanks for being with us. Tell us when, when we talk about an atlas, how precise is we know you got a busy morning ahead, everybody does, uh, during the holiday season, but we um, would uh, love if you could stick around. First of all, 719, John Recolt is going to be here. He was part of Governor Whitmer's Growing Michigan Together Council, this population of brain trust, trying to confront the very real threat to Michigan of our declining birth rate, our declining talent pool. How do you fix that? Um, some critics have already said this is nothing but a shadow organization looking to raise your taxes. Well, I, I got to tell you, I know John Ricolta well. That's not his M.O. He would uh, not sign up for that. No, and we will be talking to the uh, Republican co-chair of the Growing Michigan Together Council coming up at 719. And then uh, University of Michigan President Santa Ono to discuss what could be the very remedy, uh, one of the critical ones for what we're talking about here, which is growing our talent here and then making sure that they stay. Uh, with the Center for Innovation. Right. A very big development in downtown Detroit for that. So we'll ask him at 735. Meantime, uh, GM's crews, we know this is their autonomous unit. Uh, they're cutting their workforce by 24%. And yesterday, they axed nine of the top leaders. Uh, this as a lot of their testing. Uh, I shouldn't say a lot of it. Some notable instances of their testing went off the rails. And uh, they feel that in order to uh, generate some credibility for this uh, very complicated testing program, that there be new leadership. And that's why they have had a a real uh, winter house cleaning at the top of GM's crews, the autonomous 
Uh, but when you're cutting your workforce 20%, that also says this isn't quite maybe the, the, the highest priority now. They've got the EV transition, and that's going on. We I saw one forecast that came out yesterday saying that uh, global uh, sales of EVs are going to grow by 20%, but they could have perhaps fall in the U.S. by mm. 4%. Uh, Cadillac, though, unveiling a new uh, Cadillac Vistique. We got the Lyric. <laughs> <laughs> the Escalade IQ. Q is going to be the letter that pays at Cadillac. Um, but this is a three-row SUV, little smaller than the Escalade. So it really, for I, I got to tell you, when I look at it, that's the right size for me. Well, the and Escalades are huge. The Escalades are Hard gigantic. to park. You know, I'm not even <laughs> sure. My, my house is 90 years old. I'm not even sure I could fit it. I don't think of my old it, garage either. Yeah, it's it's an it's an old garage. So uh, it's it's a beautiful vehicle. I think it's right-sized for a lot of families. Uh, we'll we'll uh, look at what the range numbers are when they come out, but it was an important introduction for Cadillac yesterday. Meantime, we are seeing some layoffs uh, due to both uh, the postponement of the Chevy Silverado pickup truck EV, uh, but also the Chevy Camaro, one of yeah. one of the great you know cars of of my era that was reborn uh, about 15 years ago. Some nostalgia there. Yeah. Uh, there, there were some layoffs up in Lansing due to the uh, cancellation of the Camaro. Uh, those folks will be able to uh, apply for jobs elsewhere in the GM And the Chevrolet system. Bolt layoffs for that, those as well. E- exactly. Um, some disturbing news, and, and maybe it sounds like some, some finger-pointing and infighting between the Attorney General's office and the Detroit Police Department over the Samantha Wall case. Well, the attorney general saying they offered investigators for the Samantha Wool investigation, but then they were relieved because the Detroit uh, Police Department is saying, well, there were leaks. And, you know, some are saying that that's not true. Perhaps the leaks were coming from the Detroit side of things. But in, in any regard, those investigators were relieved of their duties. In the end, they found who they believe committed this horrific act. And more details are coming out because there was a hearing uh, on Wednesday when it comes to the Samantha Wool murder. And Detroiter Michael Jackson Bolanos is tied to her murder because blood was found on a jacket that he had at his girlfriend's house. And also there's this footprint of um, DNA, cell phone, surveillance cameras, videos all over the place pinpointing him in that area. And then the details that have come out, that perhaps it was just a crime of opportunity. She came home from this wedding, fell asleep in her front room and did not lock her door. And he was around burglarizing and stabbed her to death. Right. His defense attorney says he doesn't have a history of violent crime. Insofar as criminal convictions, that's true. He was convicted of receiving and concealing stolen property. But in prison, He he had several violations, including a sexual assault. Violent assaults while in prison. So it's not that big of a jump in my eyes. But he was arraigned and uh, in 36th District Court, remanded to jail. He has a probable cause conference scheduled for December 27th and a preliminary examination on January 3rd. Uh, Yesterday, the House passed the National Defense Authorization Act. Uh, We had talked to John James about this and others. There was concerns that far-right Republicans were going to load up a lot of culture war provisions in this against DEI, LGBTQ rights, and abortion. Uh, For instance, that you couldn't, if a female member of the military had an abortion, and that they wouldn't pay her travel expenses. Uh, None of that 
ended up getting into the final bill. Moderate Republicans kind of came to the rescue. This has always been a bipartisan bill. This has never been a contentious bill. Right, where we, because it's for the troops. For the troops. And, you know, um, this isn't one of those omnibus bills where they, like a Christmas tree, you just keep adding your own ornaments for your special interests. Um, so it did pass uh, with heavy Republican support. Uh, it's a, It will give a 5.2% pay increase. Um, it does provide some support to Ukraine, but the larger piece of that remains... Um, still in question, and they're going to work on it over the weekend. Well, the Democrats, the Senate Democrats have said, okay, let's postpone our holiday vacation and stay and try and figure this out, pairing military assistance for Ukraine with a crackdown on migration at the U.S.-Mexico border. They've got to do it. They've got to address both. They have to do both. Um, The House GOP leaders left Washington without acting on the matter, but Schumer is saying if we believe something is important and urgent, we should stay and get the job done. You know, a lot of uh, lawmakers said, well, we we just can't do immigration reform so quickly because it's so complicated. You know, I got to tell you, it wasn't that complicated for President Trump. Well, um, also, this has not just crept up on you. You have known this has been an issue for months and months and months. You had 12,000 a day last week. That set a record, 12,000 uh, encounters. Um, it, it, just reestablish Remain in Mexico. Raise the bar for asylum claims and tell people you cannot... The waiting America is not going to be your waiting room when you do have if you do have an asylum claim. Um, Right. There is a sense that they are close, which is why Chuck Schumer is saying let's stay. And we're talking about increased detention of migrants at the border and a policy known as expedited removal. Yeah. Is on the table. Well, let's hope that a search for the perfect doesn't get in the way of the search for the the good and what could account for progress uh, on both. But uh, you're right. It's so foolhardy that they left it to the 11th hour. Which they seem like they do with every topic. Oh, well, we don't want to be late to this. WGR's business speed. Here's Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of Startup Nation, to spotlight the entrepreneurial tech and startup community here on WJR. Good morning, Jeff. Good morning, Guy. Is the economy improving? Will 2024 be a better year to small businesses? Well, while there are signs that things may be heading in the direction, indeed, of an improving climate, Small business owners are just not feeling it yet, and the U.S. Small Business Sentiment Index makes that clear. In fact, the sentiment index edged down in November to the lowest level in six months as a result mainly of continued difficulties in hiring skilled labor and ongoing concerns about inflation. Now, the National Federation of Independent Businesses said its Small Business Optimism Index also fell last month. In October, the index remained below the 50-year average of 98 for a 23rd straight month. Of course, Guy, these reports and the data they reflect are indicative that small business owners, while things are beginning to improve, haven't yet felt the full impacts of those improvements and still see many challenges right in front of them as they continue to navigate their way through 2023. However, now with the Fed holding on interest rate hikes and even signaling that there will be cuts next year with inflation stabilizing, even coming down in many sectors of the economy and the job market now showing signs of stabilizing with fewer owners reporting difficulty in filling open positions. Maybe just maybe 2024 looks to be a much better year ahead. 
Of course, we're all hoping for that. Small businesses are critically important not only to the local communities which they serve, but to the broader national economy as well. Such a critical part of the job market and the national GDP. We need our small businesses to be thriving. I'm Jeff Sloan, founder and CEO of StartupNation.com, and that's today's business beat on the great voice of the Great Lakes, WJR. I've been talking to you for a couple weeks now about a great family-owned window company that I've recently gotten the chance to get to know, Clarkson Window and Door. For over 36 years, Clarkson Window and Door has been providing hundreds of thousands of windows and doors to Michigan homes. Their windows are made to order. That means you control the design process from color, style, grids, and hardware. They work with North Star Windows, an American-owned company that designs windows that can stand up to the harshest winter conditions so they can handle all our crazy Michigan weather. Clarkson Window and Doors installers are experts with decades of experience, and they never use subcontractors, something important to me. You always know who's in your house and who you're working with. There are never any high-pressure sales tactics, and they offer fair and honest pricing. Great financing options are available, too. And to top it off, all their windows come with a lifetime warranty. It's no surprise that Clarkson Window and Door is so highly recommended by WJR's home improvement experts, the Inside Outside Guys. Check out their reviews online and go see them at their design showroom. When it's time to replace your windows, make sure you call Clarkson Window and Door. Visit ClarksonWindow.com for more information or call 248-338-6781. 248-338-6781. It is an existential threat to our economic future. Not enough people, not enough people with the right skills. Uh, that is the task. How to solve that very complicated problem was the task of the Growing Michigan Together Council, appointed by Governor Whitmer to look into our population decline and our talent deficit. Uh, it was uh, bipartisan, bipartisan leadership. They delivered their report yesterday. It was approved in a nearly unanimous vote. So what are the recommendations and how do we do it? Will it require a- an increase of taxes? John Ricolta was the co-chair of the Growing Michigan Together Council, a Republican, a former ambassador to the UAE, and he joins us live this morning. John, Ambassador, good morning. Good morning, Guy. Nice to be with you today. So I, I know this is a really complicated problem, and there are multiple solutions, and you've been uh, raising the alarm on this uh, for, for longer than most. Uh, when you look at the recommendations that were that dropped yesterday, which, which ones do you think are the most critical to success in the future, the most impactful? Well, I think that the number one message coming out of the report is the almost unanimous decision to submit the report in its entirety. Uh, When you take a look at the uh, 20-member council, actually there were 21, but one never got filled, Uh, 19-point people voted enthusiastically in favor of it. Uh, If you were to hear the comments of each person before they vote, uh, you would have been very, very proud of uh, your fellow Michigan citizens who really took a lot of time uh, to ponder uh, the severity and the staggering aspect of this problem and come together in a bipartisan way there was racial balance, gender balance. Uh, we we had people from the north uh, all the way up into the Upper Peninsula, all the way to the south and down river. Uh, it really made my heart sing to see uh, such a voice come forward that I think 
and we hope that the politicians will listen to. So that's really the first big aha moment that uh, it was cohesive in a very, very good way. It had a lot of intellectual tension, but in the end we came together what we thought uh, was the right thing for Michigan. The second thing is, is that uh, we all recognize that the problems are systemic and they're structural. Some of them have been going on for 70 years, others a little bit shorter time, 30 or 40 years, but we have to address those systemic issues or our recommendations will fall short of uh, of its goal. And the third thing is, is uh, uh, the surprise that we all had as to the trajectory of our population growth. Um, right now, uh, we have slipped significantly in terms of our percentage of the U.S. share of the population. And then when you match that with the fact that our per capita income has been declining for 70 years, and you sort of have to ask yourself, where have we been? Have we all been at the sleep, yeah. asleep at the switch to this degree? So, yes, we did come up with three immediate tactical uh, strategic um, recommendations, and, uh, you know, each one of them is vitally important, but I think the core of it all is, is that if we don't prove our K-12 through education system, uh, we've got no chance of succeeding. So education is certainly important. Uh, what were the other things? One was rapid transit regionally. No, I, I think you need to look a little bit broader than that. The, the second one, actually the order of them was first we wanted to establish Michigan as innovation hub of the Midwest and uh, America's new scale-up state. Uh, and if you take a look at like three things that are happening right now in our community, uh, the announcement yesterday of the uh, U of M Innovation Hub, right. uh, uh, Henry Ford Hospitals, uh, a big new program, their new development uh, that will include a tremendous amount of research and development, uh, and then Ford Motor Company's um, uh, hub uh, at the train station. Uh, all of those are the kind of things that will allow Michigan to begin to advance. And this innovation, I mean, you know, you invent something and it's good for a while, but you've got to keep on innovating. You've got to be able to change. And I think that's a very, very important aspect of this. And we've got to do a whole lot more of that. There's uh, this novel I... approach, John, called a Michigan Education Guarantee. What would that do? Well, we're trying to have a guarantee that all students will get the kind of education that they re- need and require uh, in order to enter the 21st century job market. You need to be proficient in math. Uh, you have to be proficient in English. Uh, you need to have some form of college, a two-year or four-year degree. Uh, you have to be able to enter uh, apprentice school. I mean, let's just look at the electricians. You guys had a great ad just to, before I came on about the NECA. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have a shortage of electricians, but it takes you have to have algebra and calculus uh, knowledge to be able to get into these uh, into these programs. And so that's what we mean by this education guarantee. And within that, uh, we have to have accountability. Accountability for teachers, accountability for parents, and accountability for students. Those accountability standards, they have to be improved and they have to be, uh, you know, put forth. How do we get union buy-in on that, John? I, I, well, you know, we did have Launch Michigan for a while, five years worth of effort, and uh, Launch Michigan, in fact, included the the MEA and the AFT, and they bought into Launch Michigan's uh, proposal, if you will, and that sort of died on the vine about about a year and a half ago. Uh, that particular launch uh, initiative uh, addressed accountability, so I, I think it's a little short-sighted to blame the union 
look, this isn't a union. This isn't a management problem. This is a Michigan problem. Mm -hmm. And this is the kind of cohesion that we need to have come together. And I think, look, there are union people, plenty of union people on this commission. They all voted yes. I think you've got to take a hard look and stop looking for excuses and start to press forward and demand solutions. And this is what the council said yesterday. John, how do you implement these ideas? Is it raising taxes? How do you pay for it? Well, that's another really good question. I mean, you know, look, paying for it is the last question you have to answer. You have to answer the first question is, what's the problem? And does the state of Michigan and all the citizens really understand the depth of this problem? And the second thing is, what are these structural impediments that we need to get out of the way? Third is, okay, we've got three tactical recommendations. Four is, you have to really price these recommendations to see what are they really going to cost. We don't want the special interest groups to be using their calculation. We would like uh, professionals to price this. Then we want to see what's the return on investment. Is it worth it? Then, if only then, then you start looking for the revenue. And there are four steps in looking for the revenue. And it just surprises me how we always go to raising taxes. My first recommendation was, and it got implemented, we've got to look at the current $50 billion budget and really ask ourselves, is there waste? Is it efficient? Is there room for us to stop um, uh, funding programs that don't bring the kind of return that they should? Amen. That's That's the first place you have to look. And I believe that if you don't look there first and make the case, that you can't go any further. The citizens will not accept it. The inflation is killing the middle class right now, and until that subsides and until we take a good look at the $50 billion budget, and this is what the politicians don't want to do because that's really, really hard. The second thing you need to do is to say, are we spending and are we receiving all the federal dollars that we should be getting as a state? We have been slipping for a long time with used to be over 4% of the population of the United States lived in Michigan. Now it's less than three, and we're headed for two. Right. Okay? The third thing is to go to philanthropy and private enterprise and see where they can help. And after all of those things are exhausted, now we can start talking about how do we tax the citizens of Michigan. And even there, the first question is, are the taxes that we are currently employing or putting out there proper for the 21st century? Right. John, I know it's it's a vexing problem. I love your list of priorities there and your funding formula. Thank you for your scholarship and the time you've put into this. We ran out of time in our discussion with Ambassador Ricolta about this Michigan uh, Growing Michigan Together Council. But I've seen these plans before, Jamie, and unfortunately, they end up getting put on a shelf. We can't let that happen this time. If you put all the effort into it, move forward. Take the recommendations. And These were really smart people that did this. And one of the things that they pointed to is the idea of growing talent here and then giving them the opportunity to stay here and use their talent. And boy, did we see a giant leap forward yesterday as ground was broken in the uh, University of Michigan Center for Innovation in Detroit. Now, uh, the University of Michigan started in Detroit in 1817, moved out to Ann Arbor in 1837, so it's a little bit like coming home. And we welcome in the president to the University of Michigan, Santa Ono. Uh, good, good morning. Good morning. Welcome home. 
Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Give me an idea as we see this $250 million project built. Who will populate it? What will be happening within the walls? Well, there's so many people that want to be part of it that it's going to be a challenge really limiting what we do. But uh, we've been working for the past 14 months after I arrived on the kinds of degrees that we're going to uh, confer there to the kind of education and research that happens there. And it's going to span some of the most exciting things that the world needs, such as robotics and computer science, uh, artificial intelligence, uh, really training people in every sector to be able to move into a more sustainable economy and world. And so there'll be uh, ultimately thousands of students um, pursuing graduate degrees, there'll be reskilling and upskilling. There'll be connectivity with companies in Detroit and across Michigan. Uh, there are already companies that uh, have already signed up uh, to be part of that uh, at UMCI. And I hope that the halls of the building will be full of students from Detroit, especially across the street at Cas Tech High School, which is an extraordinary place that is already sending 32 of their students at the University of Michigan at uh, Ann Arbor. Uh, President Ono, so it'll be a graduate school, but it also has a community outreach aspect to it. Can you explain that part? Absolutely. Well, it'll be an inspirational building. Uh, it'll be not only an educational space, uh, conferring graduate degrees, but there will be companies that are there. There'll be venture capitalists there. Uh, it's not only education and talent, it's also uh, a critical place where people will come together um, to come up with new ideas uh, and support businesses, um, you know, help with uh, talent coming to the institution and to the state, but also keeping people here by connecting them with career opportunities while they're there. That was going to be my next question because the holidays for too many families start with a trip to Metro Airport to pick up the kids that left, right? And and uh, a lot of us are going to be going through that over the next week. How do we keep them here? How about those partnerships with incubators and maybe venture capitalists and others so that there are are opportunities that will be powerful inducements to stay? Well, I have to tell you that being part of the Grow Michigan Together Council, you're absolutely right. The recommendations are on the mark. I am bullish about Detroit and Michigan right now because um, the conversations, everyone converge on that council on the fact that the stars are aligning. You have a governor, you have government in Lansing, uh, you have the business leaders of Michigan, the Detroit Economic Council, you have the higher educational institutions, not only the research universities, but also the community colleges. We all have the same vision to grow the talent, uh, to keep the talent here, uh, to make sure that the ideas that come out of our universities, that our startups actually stay here so that more people choose Michigan as home. Uh, President, you're not from Michigan. You're actually from uh, Canada. So what do you That's see right. as Detroit's future? I mean, you, you're very excited about it. What do you see as it grows? Well, Detroit is one of the most important cities uh, in the United States. If you think about the success of the nation, much of it rests upon the history of Detroit. And we have a great mayor. Uh, Mayor Dutton, I think, is the best mayor in the United States. And you've seen his record. You can see the renaissance that's occurring. Mayors across the country know that. Um, And we all have to rally behind him 
and our governor uh, and the council recommendations. And we can do this. Richard Florida, who actually studies metropolitan areas, said that he's bullish about Detroit. He thinks that what happened in Austin 10 years ago, it's already happening here. If you look at the places where the most there are the most startup uh, uh, activities that are successful, we're second in the world after Dubai. Oh. And so this is the moment for us to take advantage of the intellectual property and the talent that comes out of our universities and implement those recommendations. We can grow our uh, our population here. They can stay here. They can contribute to the tax base and there'll be a virtuous cycle. I truly believe in those recommendations. Change is hard, though. And I got to tell you, I'm a bit of a skeptic because I've seen so many of these blue ribbon panels produce really good work. And then the political class and, and others and in institutions don't like change and, and, and won't take the positive steps forward. How do we break that cycle? Well, I got to tell you, that's often true. But I know these people. I know the governor. I know the mayor. I know the members of the council. I know the CEOs of business leaders of Michigan and the Detroit Economic Council, they are genuine. Uh, this is not meant to be a tome to be put on a shelf. Uh, people care about Detroit. People care about Michigan. And UMCI was so important for it to be launched on the same day that the Grow Michigan Together recommendations came out because it was a underscoring the fact yeah. that like other institutions, the University of Michigan is all in. We're not going to be just the University of Michigan. We're going to be the University for Michigan. All right. Well, can I just switch gears briefly? Your sure. football team is going to play a big game against Alabama January 1st at 5 o'clock. Are you going? And also, you've been a huge supporter of Jim Harbaugh throughout all of the sort of everything that's gone on this year. You say that he's the guy. He is the guy. He's one of the greatest coaches there is in college or NFL football. And he loves the university. He's the university. He epitomizes the university. He loves the team. The team loves him. Um, and, uh, you know, I think that um, certainly there have been challenges and we're complying with the investigation. But, um, you know, the team has been very successful over the past uh, three years. I know him. I trust him. I believe in him. I very much want him to be the future of the University of Michigan football team. Well, you're working on a contract. I heard. You don't have to confirm. <laughs> we certainly hope that uh, we can reach a path where he can stay here for many years to come. Well, if we, between now and then, if we don't talk to you, best of luck out in Pasadena. Yep. Enjoy your, uh, your visit out there, and we hope you come home with uh, – a, uh, a Let's national get through the championship. semifinal. Yeah, yeah. We'll, we'll, yeah. yeah. We're not, we don't want to look uh, too far ahead, but uh, thank you for your contribution to the Grow Michigan Together Council and to you now shepherding this investment in downtown Detroit that will help create the Center for Innovation and also uh, re-innovating the future of the Michigan economy. Thank you so much for reaching out to me, and happy holidays to everyone. And to you. President Santa Ono from the University of of Michigan. Go blue. We know that uh, you're probably cranking up the thermostat these days. Uh, we had a low of 25 over the night. It's so important that you be comfortable, that your furnace be efficient. It's just as if not more important that your furnace operates safely. Uh, we know that you can prolong the life of a unit with good service. 
but also a well-maintained furnace needs to be safe because it reduces the risk of carbon monoxide leaks and fire incidents. For three quarters of a century, the Corian family has been doing exactly that for their customers and also treating them the way they would expect to be treated by a heating and cooling contractor. CNC Heating and Air Conditioning, trusted and referred by WJR's Inside Outside guys because they put your safety first. So yes, stay warm, stay cozy, but stay safe during the cold weather months and make sure you get that furnace tune-up from CNC Heating and Air Conditioning. Take advantage of the carrier cool cash savings that are on the table right now if you need a new carrier furnace. Call CNC Heating and Air Conditioning, 800-MY-FURNACE. That's 800-693-8762. Get that free 21-point comfort survey, and you can get, if you need it, a new carrier heating and cooling system installed the next day. That's right, tomorrow. Visit cncheat.com. That's cncheat.com. Turn to the experts. As we look at our window from our beautiful perch here in the Fisher Building, it is clear, a little bit of haze on the horizon, but it is glorious sunshine. We've and had great sunrises this whole we, week. We have. We've been blessed. Um, a high of 52 in the forecast. Um, I, I mean, I was telling Jamie, I had a buddy call and say, you want to play golf? Said, no, I got to play Santa. <laughs> I've got to do other things. Uh, so what is ahead? Because you know what? We do like white Christmases. Uh, especially if you got guests coming in from out of town. I love it when our California family can come in and experience a Michigan winter. They love it, too. Uh, Do well, they? Most of them. <laughs> most of them. The California natives, maybe not so much, but we that's uh, they, I, they join in, uh, in in good spirit. Craig Herrera is a Fox uh, weather meteorologist and WJR contributor and is here to, to tell us what our prospects are maybe for <laughs> a white Christmas. Craig, good morning. Guy Jamie, good morning to you both. Boy, I wish we had some better news and spending time in California. I'll tell you what, you get snow on the ground, we can't even drive in rain. But you go to the mountains, it's always magic up in the mountains. I wish we had better news for you all, though. You had a little snow last year. You talked about some warmer conditions, 50s today. As we go through the 25th, we're only going to be in the 40s, mid-40s, just too warm for some uh, snow. You are going to get a little bit of rain, but boy, if we could knock those temperatures down to 32 it would be a whole different story. So that glorious view that you have right now is going to continue uh, right through the weekend. But for the 25th, it looks like mostly rain. I wish I had better news. All right. So traveling, I'm just asking for a friend, say, on mm -hmm. Christmas Day heading to Pittsburgh. We should be okay. Yeah, you should be fine. Actually, that'd be really good. Um, and that's not bad at all. I think that what we'll watch for is most of the energy is going to be over portions of the Rockies. If you had somebody coming in from the Rockies, that'd be different. Or if their flight is coming from a place like Denver, maybe it's a United flight. They've got a big hub out there. That might cause some issues and some delays. But I think if it, as long as the flights are on the East Coast, Midwest, you should be good. Well, she's traveling with a one-year-old, so uh, <laughs> haste oh, is of the essence. We drive to my parents. And uh, one time we had these white conditions and it was kind of scary oh, so is. we'll be good this year you said so when you say think, yeah, they're driving for sure no no snow down here in our area what about uh, towards the tip of the mitten up in uh, little traverse bay up near the Boyne uh, snow country is there for those that were hoping yeah. to ski between the holidays might there be enough cold weather up there that they could make some good snow I think they're going to be fine. They might even get a little bit of help. They've got, you know, I think you're going to get some wind out of the northwest, 30 miles per hour or so. That might give you a little bit of snow, Marquette, <laughs> Grand Marais. But I for the man-made stuff, it's going to be great because you need temperatures in the mid-20s, a little more drier conditions. So that's probably better. 
Uh, but as far as the man-made, I mean, the natural stuff, it doesn't look all that good. Last year, you guys were okay. You had a couple of inches on the ground. 2021 was awful. 2020 was good. 2017, I think that's the year that you had about three inches at least on the ground. So you got back to 2017 for some pretty decent snow on the ground on Christmas Day. I think the, that was the time we were driving to Pittsburgh. No, no. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank Jamie for that. I have a question about you guys all tracking Santa Claus and NORAD. Yeah. That's so cool that you give us that um, those updates on Christmas Eve. Isn't it awesome? You get to watch Santa and the reindeer going all across the globe, and you get to update them. And as the little ones are watching, you're like, all right. You've got about an hour. You got to go to bed and fall asleep. <laughs> Otherwise, Santa's going to miss us, right? <laughs> I love that that you guys do that. It it uh, it, 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 it it's just so fun. You know, I, we looking back, we only had half the rain in the month of November that we normally have here in Michigan. <laughs> this is going to become a concern for boaters come spring, won't it? Yeah, you know, and that's a big problem. When you think about, so we we're talking about El Nino. We're in an El Nino right now. That's the warmer sea surface temperatures over on the Pacific closer to California. So that tends to drive with the steering patterns, the winds, most of the moisture for the southern tier, California, Texas, through Florida, places across the Midwest, uh, the Northeast. We tend to be drier, uh, historically speaking, during an El Nino. And if that's the case, again, it's going to be tough. You know, it hasn't been all that great last month, and this month doesn't look that great. Hopefully things will pick up in January, February, but it's it's not the kind of pattern that we typically see in this type of setup. Well, without those colder temperatures and without ice cover on the lake, you're going to get more evapor uh, on the Great Lakes, you're going to get more yep. evaporation. Yeah. You think about that, you think about a lot of the rivers and trying to get some of the, the, the lakes filled up. It's just not happening. It's It's been tough, and I wish that we had better news, but, you know, Going into January, February, that could switch a little bit, mm-hmm. but that's only if El Nino tends to settle down. And there is a hint that perhaps it's going to level off, which would help us out, hopefully. But it's kind of early to tell at this point. Yeah, it would. If so, it'd be the the fourth year of four year, uh, three years of decline mm-hmm. uh, no. in, in water. Yeah, levels. Lake St. Clair not freezing. Yeah. They were doing regular fishing the other day. It seems just like yesterday they were doing all this hand wringing, saying that water levels were the highest they've ever been, and we could have too much erosion. And it's like. This has happened before. This isn't, yeah. you know. <laughs> yeah, we go through these cycles, right? It happens, and then we go through other cycles. It dries out. You're talking about golfing. Are, are you kidding? That's great. I mean, <laughs> you can at least make the most of the weather you have for now, I guess, right? <laughs> right. You just got to tell them, hey, would you charge a cart? <laughs> so <laughs> maybe put a flag in the hole. The ball runs incredibly well in colder temperatures. It, yeah, yeah. It's so true. Isn't it funny? You guys were talking about sound, and I was, I was thinking about, um, you know, vibrations. It's it's basically sound travels better when you've got more uh, something to travel through, like water, because it's a vibration that's going through. And if it's more dense, it has a better uh, chance of traveling. So if you've got fog out there or if you've got low clouds, oftentimes you hear, a, you know, a big horn or something and it travels a whole lot farther so i was listening to you all earlier i'm like i gotta tell them about sound oh well thank you good good to know nice to have a scientist on so when when my wife yells at me when i'm out there hanging up the lights you should they're they're gonna hear her through the whole neighborhood is what you're telling me it's a clear day with no clouds and you're good otherwise you might announce that all across the great lakes well we have that uh so yeah the forecast warmer wetter and at this point at least down in our area no chance of snow for christmas we'll have to we'll have to generate our own manufacture it inside yeah in your heart all right 
and put on Bing Crosby. Uh, thanks so much, <laughs> thanks, uh, Craig. Craig Herrera. We appreciate your time and uh, the work you're doing there as Fox Weather Meteorologist. We appreciate you. Thanks so much. I'd love to chat with you anytime. All right. Take care. When we come back, got to share with you the AAA gas prices. You'll love what you see. And a happy Friday morning to you on this uh, December 15th, 2023. Uh, just 10 days left. And uh, we know everybody's going to be rushing out and very busy. And, and we want you to keep your eyes on the road. But as you pause at a stoplight, mm-hmm. look at the gas stations nearby. Because Santa's left a little gift for you on that price sign. I have not seen a two yet. Yet? I saw 302. And I almost took a picture with my phone. So today's... Triple A Michigan average is two ninety nine a gallon. That is uh, just which is just released this morning. Two ninety nine a gallon uh, in Macomb. It's three bucks a gallon in Oakland. It's three oh seven in Wayne. It's two ninety two. That sounds great. Doesn't isn't that a nice little? How do you spell relief? That that, that would, sounds that, great, especially when you're hitting the road, going to see family. Yeah, and this is I mean, it's the timing of it is what leaves you scratching your heads. This is normally when you see kind of you know things inflate a little bit. But uh, the question is, how low can they go? And uh, we'll find out. Patrick DeHaan, Gas Buddy, uh, coming in at eight forty nine to deliver uh, his forecast on that uh, because certainly everybody's trying to make their dollar go a little farther during the holiday season and it's nice to have a little help exactly uh when you're uh and and before you gas up and go to grandma's before you gas up that sleigh (laughs) um to get a little break there one of the things we we had a great conversation with john ricolta who's co-chair of the growing michigan together council the population council that governor whitmer put together and then also the president of the University of Michigan, Santa Ono. If you didn't hear either one of those interviews, you can find them at thegreatvoice.com. What I loved, neither one of them are wide-eyed innocents. I mean, mm-hmm. John, <laughs> one of the things I love about him, he doesn't sugarcoat a lot. No. But, but he said the wonderful thing about this and being on this council was the near unanimity and enthusiasm about these recommendations that they made. And the people with all different backgrounds. Who almost unanimously voted. Yeah. Yeah. And he said, you know, we saw people breaking out of their silos. Labor embracing the idea of more accountability for teachers in the classroom, uh, which has been an ongoing debate. And the idea that change must happen. And they said, yes, this will cost money, but it's not going to be taxes right away. They're going to look at the budget first and look at different ways. Maybe the private sector can come in. So it's not just about taxing you well anybody in business can tell you this you can yield savings and better outcomes just by changing your practices by adopting better practices Mm -hmm. that requires a lot of self-reflection because everybody's instinct is well we've never done it that way before but how important is it to this state to retain and get people to move here yeah and if it is then you would do that and i gotta tell you every parent that's having to go to the airport to pick up their child for christmas because or or their family that is now somewhere else because they've sought their fortunes elsewhere will sign up for this and even john would say we need targeted investment and that may require revenue enhancements some places but it may you may get a break elsewhere Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so it's about finding the best way to do it not just throwing money at the problem because i got to tell you you, we could open up the phones today and folks would say well we have record setting k-12 through budgets every year and yet we're 43rd in third grade reading how does i mean it, it isn't about money right 
and you're going to they're going to have to address those skeptics but they can't let this and and Santa Ono talking about this amazing center for innovation uh he was also part of the governor's council as well uh, equally enthusiastic about growing talent here yeah and he was very excited he's not from here he's from Canada and he just sees the growth of this area southeast michigan detroit in particular uh, as being a hub for people to come here i think that's exciting yeah um, we were t- you talked to, to uh, President Ono about uh, the little trip he's going to be making to Pasadena yeah. uh, for New Year's Day. Uh, w- we will see a U of M guy on the sidelines, but wearing the wrong crimson color. You know, those Alabama guys, they're sneaky. They hired a former Michigan assistant coach, George Hilo. Uh, he's being hired by the Crimson Tide and will begin work immediately. Uh, as number one, Michigan is set to play number four, Alabama, in the Rose Bowl on January 1st. Now, the 36-year-old Hilo, hopefully I'm saying that right, or hello, has been out of work since February when he departed the Michigan staff after two seasons as linebackers coach. So he's going to have intimate knowledge of what so, Michigan is bringing to the table. And Nick, weigh in on this, too. Uh, it, so i got to ask the both of you, really, how much fresh knowledge does he bring? He may know the weaknesses of some players, but how fresh is his knowledge? How much advantage does he really bring? I mean, he may know some tendencies of Jesse yeah. Minter's defense and and how he calls it, but that's probably nothing that Alabama doesn't already know. That you couldn't scout. Scouting. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And he hasn't worked since February. Yeah. It's not like he was no, just yeah. working he a couple was weeks on ago. on staff this season. Yeah. Right. In the meantime, uh, also on the subject of sports, one of the most hated rules in the NFL may be up for reconsideration. And that is this notion that if you've got, let's say, a wide receiver who's going into the end zone for a touchdown but fumbles, and that fumble goes out mm-hmm. of the out of bounds, that that will result in an automatic turnover to the defense. Right, and that doesn't happen anywhere else on the field. If right. you fumble and it goes out, you retain possession. Unless the, the defense recovers it right. prior to it going out of bounds. And it is one of the most hated rules. The question is, okay, they're, apparently they're going to consider it. How do you fix it other than just saying what? It's it's then a dead ball, and it's it's just you just take the next down. And the team retains possession, I and think, retain, would make the most sense. Yeah. This has been uh, in a couple games. <laughs> I like that they're at Critical. least looking at stuff, you know, because some of these things just don't make sense. Well, Justin Jefferson apparently uh, in week two lost control of a ball. It led to the Eagles winning 34-28 on uh, Thursday night football, uh, and it kind of started the, the Vikings skid at the beginning mm-hmm. of the season. Which, you know great <laughs> yeah we like that but uh certainly they they didn't so we'll, we'll see what what comes of it uh in the meantime uh i think we've been downgraded a little bit over the broncos i think it was uh, we did we go from four to three point favorites well huge game guy huge game on saturday at ford field prime time lions hosting the broncos there's questions about the offensive line and who's going to be there for the second straight practice their offensive line was intact, but Frank Ragnow and left tackle Taylor Decker have been questionable all week long heading into this game because of certain injuries. The Lions have started nine different combinations on that offensive line, so obviously that's very important to Jared Goff, to the run game, so hopefully the, the starters can all play on Saturday because those Broncos are sort of they're on a little rally 
and we need to get on our own. Meantime, um, we may get one of our defensive secondary guys back. This is so exciting. Soon enough, yeah. CJGJ, CJ Gardner-Johnson, it seems like help is on the way for that secondary. Dan Campbell confirmed yesterday that CJ Gardner-Johnson has been medically cleared after having surgery to repair a torn pectoral muscle so he can return to practice as of next week. Campbell called him one of the X-Men. He's got mutant genes to be able to come back this quickly. But if he returns next week, at the very least, he would have an opportunity to play in the regular season finale against the Vikings and hopefully a playoff game. So we are by, we're compelled to be morning people, right? Yes. Jason, Nick, Forced Mike, into Renee, it. <laughs> we, we all get up because it's, it's our job. Do you consider yourself a morning person? No. I think Jason is. Jason always has his sunny side up when when he gets in here. Renee always does. I think they are by nature morning people. Jason's I, just happy. Know. I don't want to speak for you, but he's happy to have a consistent schedule now. Yeah, yeah, because I was I was bouncing from overnights to middays, so I haven't had a consistent uh, waking up to an alarm in fifteen years until these last six weeks, and I love it. I, I you cons- are very smiley in the morning. <laughs> I consider myself a morning person. A new study tells you why some people are morning people and others aren't. It could be the amount of Neanderthal DNA that you've got in your... So you've got a lot? Your, I, apparently, well, you know what? I did the 23andMe, and that's one of the things they said. Oh. You've got a little bit more caveman in you than, than most. Um, so apparently my homo sapiens was... I don't know if they were... <laughs> You went around. way back in twenty three. Yes, my prehistoric um, ancestors were were messing around in, with other tribes, apparently. But um, they, the Neanderthal variant shows a propensity for being a morning person. Hmm. So uh, I must not have that. Thanks, thanks, Uncle Gronk, uh, <laughs> <laughs> for for giving uh, giving that uh, personality trait. But a little something as you wake up this morning saying, geez, I need a cup of Neanderthal Yeah, <laughs> to get me started. Good morning, cavemen and women. Yeah. When we come back, we're going to be checking in. Uh, this is definitely not a caveman event. This is cutting-edge stuff, talking about CES, the Consumer Technology Association's big showcase out in Las Vegas. I'm going to be there. We'll check in with Gary Shapiro to see what wonders of technology might be coming your way. That's next on JR Morning. Uh, along about 8.20. My first big assignment uh, for the new year is, uh, well, it's going to be going on a diet. After that, uh, we'll be heading off to Las Vegas uh, for CES, what we used to be known as the Consumer Electronics Show. Now it's just CES. And, I, I mean, it is so sprawling and so massive but I mean, from the high-end TVs to the little robots. Uh, I mean, we've every year there's something that I've never seen before. A lot of health stuff that's very interesting. Uh, a lot of it to help people with diabetes and, and to make their lives simpler and better. Um, we have seen great breakthroughs in hearing aids and the affordability. Oh. That's great those. because when you first mentioned this, this is your thing. It just seems all technology and something that's not really my thing. But if it's health related and it helps people, I love that. Right. And uh, I mean, there's a lot of it. I mean, there are a lot of interactive toys for kids that kind of uh, break through that, which are really interesting. And every year we kind of and, and we'll do this uh, with you and Lloyd is we do kind of a make it or break it thing saying, well, this was an innovation. Is this something we really need? OK, uh, the impresario of all of this 
is uh, one of our local friends and who oversees the Consumer Technology Association, Gary Shapiro, president and CEO. Gary, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Well, my inbox is full uh, with with all of the exhibitors uh, giving me heads up on all the interesting things they're bringing. A lot of discussion about AI. As you kind of look at this from 30,000 feet, where will average folks see AI appearing in products or services that, that they'll be accessing in the future? Well, certainly we're already seeing it in our cars and our planes. Um, that's what uh, the self driving features are for both those vehicles and they work for 90 percent of the plane operations on commercial planes and they work increasingly in cars for uh you know active collision avoidance and even passive but obviously it has to get better uh and that's what we'll see but we'll also see it in healthcare. we'll see that throughout the ces in many different ways because we have a shortage of doctors and nurses around the world and technology will make the difference there for uh, remote sensing, whether or not you have to go to the hospital, all sorts of different diseases. We could figure out if they're in a, a critical mode by just looking at the technology and the sensors available and putting that together and thinking about it. Yeah. And then and then also in office automation. I mean, people that, that are working in offices in Detroit and elsewhere are seeing that already. Reports that would take a few months to prepare now could be done in a few hours. It frees up people to do other more higher value work. Um, it's just so many different things. It's the transformational technology, and it's going to be pervasive at CES 2024 in Las Vegas in the second week in January. Gary, will AI play a prominent role in all of this? Absolutely. AI is, is absolutely uh, critical. Um, and, you know, a lot of it is also focused on just the environment and green and things like that, what, what we can do. But think about it, if we could harvest all the medical information that um, President Obama talked about when he was passing his health care bill and records and figure out what works for the person and then translate that to what other people with similar genetics or blood or sex, race, age, where they live, diet, everything. You could figure that out. By the way, this is what the Chinese are doing. They have no privacy and they have 1.4 billion people and everyone is socially rated. That's not what we're looking to do in the United States. Uh, but we're not looking to be like Europe, where everything is about privacy and nothing is about innovation. It's just a balance between the two. We want to be like Goldilocks and the Three Bears. We want to have our ports just right so our innovative companies could continue to innovate, so people could benefit from more customized healthcare treatments and remote monitoring and drive cars that are safer, things like that. Well, a lot can be done. I mean, AI can analyze mountains of data that, that mere mortals can't, and that's that kind of massive data analysis is, is what could lead to a lot of breakthroughs in diagnostics and other things. Um, when you, you know, we look at our our cell phones and our, our smartphones and you kind of wonder, have we reached the end of the uh, the utility of them or or are, are we still going to see breakthroughs and advances in what the the, the power is that we hold in our hands? Uh, no, we're going to continue to see advances. It'll be more on there. There'll be more processing speed, greater memory. We're uh, going to different forms of computing, which allow a third option, which will do so many great things. We're seeing it CES already. Look, we have our first beauty tech keynote from L'Oreal, a CEO from France. He's coming to talk about what they're doing in beauty so you could figure out what works for you and what doesn't. We're seeing with food and agriculture technology where we have many of the major um uh, tractor companies and others using the internet and using basically smartphones to help control their their tractor and work 24 hours a day and, and save on seed fertilizer and water to keep the place greener we're seeing it at walmart and best buy both of the ceos will be there keynoting and, and talking about different things that they're doing 
to help the the world and make it better. Um, and we're seeing it, of course, in the automobile with the Las Vegas event now is the largest auto show we believe in the world. It's not open to consumers, so it's not that type of auto show, but it does have 500 companies exhibiting that have um, some degree of uh, vehicle electronics. And when I say vehicles, it's just not autos. It's also there's boats, there's uh, things which fly in the air with people in them, uh, things that go underground, all sorts of different types of ways we get around uh, in vehicles. So the future is technology. Every company is a technology exhibitor. Um, and CES is the one place in the world they gather every January to, to not only um, see their customers, but also form partnerships to move innovation to the next level, because that's what innovation is, making something better for mankind. Um, through different, um, you know, people get it coming up with new ideas and working together. Gary, your featured exhibitors are, you know, the who's who, Amazon, Google, LG, Sony, Samsung. So these are the people that are really going to put forth a, a huge footprint. Absolutely. I mean, you know, every major brand is there one way or, or another. Uh, we have a few thousand people going from Detroit and then 10% of them from the big three car companies. Um we have so many uh, Michigan exhibitors, it's, it's unbelievable. It's a very strong state for innovation. Um, it's where I live, even though our, we're based in um, Washington, D.C., where our offices are actually in Virginia. Uh, but the show is in Las Vegas, but it's a global event. We are a U.S. trade association, including Canada, U.S. and Canada. But, but we focus this show. It's the biggest international event in the sense there is in the U.S. We get more people from outside of the U.S. than anything else, including in the sporting world. We'll have over uh, 40,000 people from outside the United States. So, I mean, we, we've, talk, we've talked about <clears throat> better TVs, better entertainment complexes, but f- finish this sentence for me. Guy, if you see nothing else in Las Vegas at CES 2024, you got to see this. What would it be? Well, it, it's kind of opposite what we were talking about. We have uh, about 1,200 startup exhibitors in a place called Eureka Park, and these are everyone from young kids and colleges to uh, pavilions from around the world saying, here are our startups. And you'll see some of the future that are really exciting things because the thing about technology today and the smartphone and broadband, that's all you really need now to start a new company. You have an idea. You could go global if it's a good enough idea. You don't require this major amount of capital investment unless it's something, you know, really big like, uh, obviously, infrastructure or uh, self-driving vehicles. But you you. The future is in entrepreneurs, and the U.S. has done a pretty good job of encouraging innovation. Well, we really cool stuff here, Guy, and lots of sports like the motorsports, digitization and driving sustainability. Cool stuff. And some of the mobility stuff that we saw last year, uh, greater indicators and sensors for hydroplaning, things that help to keep your family safe. And, yeah, I mean, so many Michigan innovators there, and, and that's why we're going to cover it all. Gary, we look forward to seeing you, and uh, we'll see you in Las Vegas, second week of January. Great. Happy holidays, and travel safely. And to you. In the midst of your holiday hustle and bustle, we got a pretty great sports weekend ahead. And uh, we've got, of course, the Lions uh, Saturday night against the Broncos. But one of the things, and I know you love this tournament, the PNC Championship kicks off at noon today on Peacock. Tiger Woods and Charlie Woods are going to be competing together as father and son. I love son. this. I love watching Charlie and Tiger play together. Charlie's 14 now. He's on a high school team. Yeah. yeah. He's only four years shy of the age where Tiger won his first U.S. amateur. This Not is, that I would put those expectations on him, but it's... Well, he already has those expectations that Tiger would yeah, un- Unfortunately, I'm sure that's not an easy thing to bear. But, uh, you know, all a lot of PGA greats are, are going to be playing with their kids. David Duvall, 
Stuart Singh. Justin Thomas is playing with his dad. Um, Nellie Corda playing with Peter Corda, VJ Singh, Cass Singh. Steve Stricker's playing with his, his daughter, Izzy, uh, which is gay. And we're going to see Lee Trevino. We don't see a lot of Lee these days, but he's playing with his son as well. So check it out. It's on Peacock uh, today and then Saturday and Sunday. It's on in the afternoon on the NBC network. Uh, the other thing, uh, Saturday afternoon at 2 o'clock, we've got the Spartans taking on number 6 Baylor. And we welcome in uh, WJR Senior Sports Analyst Steve Courtney and our Friday guest, our traditional Friday guest, Tom Izzo. Good morning, guys. Yeah, as it turns out there, Guy, good morning to you, group. Hello again, everyone. We've got our own Izzy, Magnum T.I., Tom Izzo, uh, talking about the Spartans. Yeah, it's been somewhat of a tough go of late. They've lost two straight. Uh, they've got opportunity. Uh, on a pretty big stage, Little Caesars Arena tomorrow afternoon. They will play host to number six, Baylor, a formidable group. Coach, how are you this morning? I'm good, guys. How are you? Everything is well. Uh, this is what we know uh, about the Baylor Bears. They've got uh, quite the trio here. Jacoby Walter, Ray J. Dennis, Jalen Bridges. Uh, this particular trio coach uh, leading the Bears to the second-ranked offense in the country. Yeah, they're they're very good. Uh, they uh, really shoot the ball well. They've got, I think, four guys shooting above forty percent from the three, and another one that's close. So it's been a a team that uh, is really good. And the addition of uh, Dennis from Toledo has uh, really sparked their offense. So uh, yeah, it's going to be an incredible, I think, setting at uh, Little Caesars. I'm kind of Looking forward to it. It's our chance to uh, get back into the real world here a little bit and uh, against the top five, six team in the country. A coach? Is there a Jackson Kohler update? Yeah, no, he's he's still not ready. I mean, it's you know we're still hoping for Christmas. Oh, okay. Um, but uh, yeah, it's uh, you would you would like some uh, post play? <laughs> yeah, we we haven't been as sharp on there although we had a better week of practice here and i think we got some things straightened out but uh yeah he brings some scoring there's no question about it that uh always had since he's been here even as a freshman but uh we're gonna do what we gotta do and we're gonna have to find different ways to win we are shooting the ball better i think the last four games we're we're up to 38 percent from the three we're we're doing a little better job of that and uh shooting 40-some percent from the field, which is uh, 47. So that part of it's getting better and uh, rebounding a little better. So uh, we just got to put both ends together. In the last two games, we shot it better, but we didn't defend as well from the three, and that's where we've been hurt. What is the uh, mindset, Coach, of uh, this team? Uh, Obviously, uh, expectation coming in. Um, there's been a struggle or two thus far, but it's early. Uh, where are their heads at going into this big tilt with Baylor? You know, I think they know who we've played, and uh, I think they know some of the mistakes we've made. But as I've said, uh, you know, some of it as a teams are pretty good, too, you know, uh, and especially on given nights. You know, Wisconsin came in here and, and just made some incredible threes, eight out of ten of them by two guys, and then they went down to Arizona and didn't make any threes. So, um, you know, some of it is that's the beauty of basketball or the sin of basketball. But at the same time, um, you know, we weren't shooting it well. We're starting to shoot it better. I think that will help us as we move forward. 
because our defense had been real solid up until the last two games when it was good from the two, but not as good from the three. So, you know, nobody's sitting up here hanging their heads. We know what our schedule is. We know what we've done. We've got one of the toughest schedules in the country, and we haven't, um, you know, done our part in it. Uh, so, uh, as you said, great opportunity on Saturday. Coach, how do you feel about playing in arenas? What does it mean for the players, the difference? You know, I, I think it's it's fun and exciting. You know, sometimes uh, it seems like people don't shoot as well in, in pro arenas for some whatever reason. Maybe they're nervous. I, I'm talking about all teams over years. But, uh, uh, you know, Little Caesars is a great arena. I think there will be a great crowd there and uh, happening. And um, I think the opportunity there with the Lions playing at night should be a, a festive day in the big city. Going to be a nice opportunity. Uh, obviously, Malik Hall, he is healthy. He's coming off that 22-point performance uh, last Sunday. Seems to be finding his stride, Tom. Um, and you've got so much confidence in your younger guys. Jeremy Fears averaging just under 15 minutes a game. Cohen Carr, uh, about 18 minutes a game. Uh, it's going to be a big stage for them. But, uh, again, opportunity is uh, uh, going to be presented here. Yeah, I, I, I think it is, but I think our big key, like everybody's big key is, is uh, you know, our freshmen keep getting a little better, but, uh, you know, it's going to be Jaden. I think Jaden Akins is, is due for, and I think we'll have a big game. Uh, he's had a good week of practice, and I think the other guy that's healthy finally is, is Tyson Walker, and we really need him to be, you know, he's been pretty good at one end, but he hasn't been nearly the defensive guy that, he was last year, and I think this week has been good for him. So him and Malik are are finally healthy, and that that's going to bring something to the table. And uh, hopefully, it'll be enough. And we'll have our hands full. But uh, as you said at the beginning, what a great opportunity for us under the situation. And just looking ahead to that Oakland game, and your friend Greg Campy. I mean, I know he really wants to beat you. You guys got to stop him. <laughs> Well, Greg has done an incredible job there, and uh, you know we've had some wars over the years. And I think he's got <laughs> it's one been of his close. better teams. Yeah, it's been close. I mean, they're they're good. They played Illinois and uh, Ohio State to real close games. They beat Xavier at Xavier. I mean, this is a good Oakland team, but I can't worry about Oakland today. I have to worry about Baylor. Baylor and then, yeah. Uh, Sunday, Saturday night, I'll worry about Oakland. All Let right. me just say this uh, quickly. Uh, the X factor, I think, is A.J. Hogard. Uh, dude's coming off uh, double figures in six straight games. Uh, I think he takes care of the basketball, uh, proves to be the quarterback we're looking at here, and I think he's going to come up big. You heard it here first. Well, I tell you what, that would help us too. If, you know, There's no question our best players have to play well, and, and Jaden and Malik and AJ and Tyson, uh, you know, fall in that category, and that's the way it is with most teams. Uh, you know, if your best players play well, you have a chance to win. If they don't play well, you don't have a chance. So I think that's a good prediction, Steve. I'm going to live on that. I'm going to hold you accountable to that. <laughs> Do it. Let's go. Get that done. There's a there first time for everything, Coach. We'll, we'll... <laughs> Thanks so much. Good luck against Baylor right, uh, tomorrow at 2 at LCA. By Thanks, the way. Coach. 
Uh, Spartans on the football side of things, picking up a, 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 a could be a game changer in the, in the transfer. Portal. I was going to say the X factor might be for the football team. Uh, Oregon State quarterback Aiden Childs. He's transferring to the Spartans. This is a huge addition. How about he, that? He was ranked second overall player and top quarterback in the transfer portal. He's following his coach, and he Jonathan Smith is going to be able to build on that, having this great quarterback. So, kudos to the football team. Yeah, Jonathan Smith also uh, assembling a pretty impressive staff. So uh, uh, things heading in the right direction for uh, Spartan football, that's for sure. It is a start, right? A good start. (laughs) This guy's a top quarterback. All right. We will take that. 844 on News Talk 760 WJR. If you you check the prices on the service stations as you come in this morning, uh, you might be shocked and surprised pleasantly so. Uh, we've also got something special for you. The magic of Christmas, the magic of lights out at Pine Knob. We'll have uh, a vehicle pass for that to give away uh, coming up next here on JR Morning. Uh, one final Michigan State note here. The Board of Trustees meeting is underway right now up in La- East Lansing. And there is a certain item on the agenda that says release of certain documents or uh, something like that. So Related we, to Nasser? We may see release of some of these long-awaited Nasser documents. At least that's on the agenda. As I said, as you're coming into work, might want to, once you're at a stop safely, uh, look at some of the gas station uh, price signs around here because you might be pl- uh, pleasantly surprised. A AAA right now has the statewide average in Michigan at two ninety nine. We will take that. Uh, let's. Uh, but the question is, how low can it go, and how long will it stay? Patrick DeHaan is head of petroleum analysis for Gas Buddy, which will help you find those low prices. Patrick, good morning. Good morning. Good to be with you. And finally, when things are moving in the right direction. Right. I mean, we this is kind of a, a, a long-awaited milestone uh, post-pandemic. Um, when when you when you look at this number again in uh, in Macomb County, I think we're at three bucks even. Wayne County, two dollars ninety-two cents average according to AAA. As you look at your Gas Buddy app, where are the where are the best prices regionally? Well, Michigan is uh, one of the higher in the region. That's thanks to our gasoline taxes. If you go in that state to the south, um, Ohio, <laughs> the average there is just 273. So, depending on if you're hitting the road this holiday, Michigan tends to be pricey. Not as pricey as us here in Illinois, where the state average is still 317 a gallon. But even in Michigan, even in southeastern Michigan, if you're paying attention to what those signs say, or if you're checking the Gas Buddy app, you'll find that a station, uh, a couple of the wholesale clubs are down to 254 a gallon. So that's wow. you know 46 cents lower than Metro Detroit, which we're showing at 2.999 at this very moment. Yesterday it was 3002. So we continue to slip down, but you know it probably won't last forever. I don't want to rain on the parade, but. I do want people to be prepared that uh, oil prices have increased. You may have seen Jerome Powell's comments on the Fed maybe taking the step of cutting interest rates next year. While the markets got a little excited, oil prices are back up to $72. We're not going to shoot up a whole lot, but we probably are getting close to at least a short-term bottom. We could retest this bottom in February. That's when refineries are going to have to start getting rid of that winter gasoline ahead of the eventual transition to summer gasoline. 
I haven't seen it yet. Uh, the last I saw was 302, but it's certainly a welcome surprise when people are hitting the roads for this holiday season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, especially when you consider how much, you know, in the last couple of years, how high prices went. Um, in fact, I, I know it's a little far from Michigan, but if anyone's lucky enough uh, to be in Colorado or heading that way, uh, we're tracking five stations in Colorado that are at 199 or oh, lower. Oh, my gosh. So, you know, th- this is you know, this is kind of the pandemic pricing without the pandemic. And uh, even in Wisconsin, by the way, or Ohio, some of the low prices in those states are much lower. Ohio, uh, a couple stations at 231, Wisconsin 239, Michigan's lowest price about 243 in Belding. So if you're headed to the Midwestern Michigan area, you're seeing these lower prices. And uh, most of the country, by the way, is seeing prices substantially lower than we have at any point this year. In fact, just a couple of cents away from the national average falling to its lowest level since 2021. There was a lot of concern that upon coming into office, the Biden administration was anti-fossil fuel, that they were going to strangle leases, that they uh, may issue fewer permits. And yet, when you look at the domestic production numbers, Patrick, we are now, if I'm not mistaken, above the pre-pandemic production levels, like 13 million barrels a day. Am I right about that? Yeah, you are. Uh, We are uh, producing record amounts of crude oil. It did dip in the last couple of weeks just slightly, probably because of the big drop in the price of oil. It gives oil companies less incentive to produce. But, you know, you bring up a valid observation that oil is not as political as people think, that Biden can say what he wants, but the U.S. president can't really control oil companies. And keep in mind, 90 percent of what's produced here in the United States is on private land not federal land. And so the president, you know, those maneuvers will make a a, a very notable impact years down the road. But here and now, oil companies continue to raise output. They've just been doing it at a much slower pace because if you remember those pandemic prices, oil went negative. Oil companies are not in a rush to shoot themselves in the foot by overproducing. Right. But the trend, you're saying, it's good now, but it it might not be in the twos as we head into winter. Well, correct. Um, I would point out that Russia is still fighting a war in Ukraine, and, and the flow of oil out of Russia is not normal, right? It's still going to countries like India and China, and much of the world is still foregoing Russian oil. So until the flow of oil goes back to normal, we probably won't see gas prices going back to completely normal. I would point out, though, that as wages have gone up, along with the cost of everything, keep this in mind, that the average American has to work about five minutes to buy a gallon of gasoline today. That's actually less labor required Interesting to buy a gallon of gasoline yeah. than it was in 2017 and 2018. The other piece of news this week that was interesting at COP28, they agreed to um, to to get off fossil fuels, to transition away from fossil fuels. There were no set quotas or things like that, but it was considered somewhat of a watershed moment. When when you're sending the message to energy companies, you're done. We haven't set the deadline yet, but you are done. What could be the long term ramifications of that? 
Well, and, and, and here and now, you know, against that news, look at what's happening at some of the Michigan automakers, right? They're, they're slowing down EV production. So while maybe some of the central governments uh, are, are telling uh, uh, oil companies, you know, you're, you have a shelf life, I don't know that consumers are going to go along with that. And consumers ultimately guide where we go, what right. they buy, what you kind of hope. vehicles they buy. <laughs> yeah, it, it, exactly. So, you know, all of this on transition and, and, and the oil minister saying this, we don't really know because we don't know if consumers are all going to jump into an EV down the road. We don't know what that's going to look like. We don't know what problems there are. So I think it's a bit premature to say there's a, a end life for the oil industry because there's still instances where liquid fuels can provide things that EVs can't. And, and look, if any mistake Europe made before Russia's invasion of Ukraine, it was, it was going all in in betting on Russia that they could supply their energy. And now look what happened. So my point here being that we shouldn't put all our eggs in one basket because that has come back to bite. And if everyone moves to EVs, we'll have problems there. And I don't know that's what the future will look like. It could look like a mix of EVs and internal combustion, uh, but, you know, uh, the outcome of this is that, yes, the oil industry probably won't invest as much down the road, mm-hmm. and that could eventually impact prices. In the meantime, we will enjoy the two ninety nine that we see posted in and about Metro Detroit. Uh, Patrick DeHaan, have a wonderful holiday, and we uh, look forward to speaking with you in the new year. Thanks for having me, you as well. All right, take care. So here's the other thing. It's the Christmas season. Gas up your car. Go to Pine Knob and see the Drive magic the lights. of lights. It's Fantastic. We've got a vehicle pass awaiting you right now if you're caller number 9 at 1-800-859-0WJR, 1-800-859-0957. It will be live for you between now and December 30th, but it is a magical display. Have a great weekend. Go Lions. We'll see you bright and early Monday morning at 6 a.m. All Talk is next.